understand more about your sex life or maybe lack of sex life? How does it relate to personal and mental health? Welcome to Hot and Healthy Sex Radio with Jenny Friend, MFT. We'll discuss the topics that you've been asking about, and there's absolutely no need to be shy. Now, here's your host, Jenny Friend. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Hot and Healthy Sex Radio on Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel. For you first-time listeners, I do want to tell you a little bit about Hot and Healthy Sex Radio and about me. But I'm not going to tell you very much because I don't want to bore our returning listeners. If you want more, you're going to have to listen to last week's show, which is on the archives, or you'll have to go to my website. So let me tell you about what we're doing today. And you can go back and listen to the first show, Opening the Box of Health and... Excuse me. Opening the Box of Hot and Healthy Sex. Anytime you want. Today, we're going to talk about sex and the brain. The main reason that I'm doing this show and that I'm providing these guests for people to talk about things like sex and the brain is because the goal of Hot and Healthy Sex Radio is to highlight the health benefits of sexuality by giving accurate biological, physiological, and sociological information with a fun and relaxed attitude. Now, last week, Dr. Cindy and I built a pretty good foundation for that information by discussing in great detail all of those things over the life cycle. And of course, we were focusing on how it might affect your sexuality. In addition to all of that last week, towards the end, and today as well as every other week that you're here listening with us, we're going to be giving you the sex organ of the week question. Now, this is a question about sex organs in the body. And for the most part, if you listen very carefully to the things that are going on in these programs, you will get the answers. Sometimes you might have to do some research. But if you think you have the answer today or any other time, you'll be able to call toll-free 866 866- 472-5792 or send me an email. Dr. Cindy is going to be back with us twice more over the next 12 weeks. On the weeks that she's not around, we're going to have a couple of guests, maybe just one, who's going to come in and talk to us about their specialty in the particular subject that we're talking about. And, of course, they're going to be talking about and we're going to be talking together about how what they are discussing in that area could affect your sex life in the everyday world. When we're talking, we'll be giving suggestions for ways that you can incorporate healthy habits in order to have a more vibrant sex life every day without hardly thinking about it. So who's Jenny Friend? I've been a researcher, teacher, and therapist in the field of sexuality 
for over 20 years. I produced a couple of educational CD sets. Now, all the details about my background in education and training are in last week's recording, or you can get them off of my website. You can also get both of those CDs off of my website. Remember, that's at www.centerforclarityallspelledout.org. Currently, I'm working as a marriage and family therapist and certified sex therapist in private practice in Costa Mesa, California. Now, the term sex therapy has gotten to be kind of a common term for people out there to be using. It's kind of like counselor or coach. It's pretty nonspecific now. Many individuals use it, and they often don't have any kind of special training or education in sexuality or sexual behavior. And to make things even more complicated for the general population, for those people out there who are looking for help, some surrogates have started co-opting the term sex therapy. Me? I do talk therapy. I'll talk about any aspect of sexuality that my clients want to talk about. I'll show them diagrams. I'll explain how to do things. I'll even give demonstrations using the appropriate models and aids. Touch, however, is limited. It's limited to typical public non-sexual touching, the type where someone might touch your arm or give you a hug. If you want other kinds of touching, I recommend that you go to a partner, and that's part of what we talk about. But getting back to sex in the brain, today's subject, I want to give out some general basic generalizations about fetal development as it relates specifically to the brain. As you remember, last week Dr. Cynthia and I kind of glossed over that area and left it because we knew we were going to be talking about it in great detail today. The cells that are going to become the brain some of the first cells that start to develop. And that along with the spinal cord, that fetal tissue is going to become the brain and the spinal cord, spinal whole nervous system. And it kind of starts in a bit of a tube. Well, around two months, that tube has kind of got a big bulge in one end that's starting to look like a head. And inside that little head, those brain cells are rapidly reproducing and differentiating, going into their little areas of the brain where they are going to be functioning. That part of the brain tissue that's developing, that's closest to the body, the part that's there at the top of your spinal cord, the base of your skull, that's going to develop into the brain stem. Now that part of it gets the connections first. And those connections start getting pretty active around the fourth month. The brain has differentiated into these rudimentary lobes, you know, the lobes of the brain, the cortex, those kinds of things. And the brain is starting to do some rudimentary kind of basic learning because we're starting to get input 
from our sensory cells that are out there in the world of the uterus and as we know it at that time. However, we don't quite have the ability to understand what those signals mean, to put them together with things like punching and kicking. That doesn't come until the sixth month. But during that fourth month round in there, we can perceive light, sound, and touch. And the startle response has started. The startle response as well as the more self-regulating response that brings that startle response back to baseline. So by six months, we have some primitive type of memory uh, starting to perform. We're getting a kind of a consciousness. So it's possible it's starting to develop in there. And we're getting some simple kinds of learnings, like we make associations with things we might hear, like music or things we might see, like lights, you know, mom moving around, you know, that kind of thing. We're starting to put some meaning to those. But it's very primitive. Because even by the time we're born, those organs that are, excuse me, those cells that are uh, connected to the body, the reaching and turning, uh, the movement of the arms and the legs, those are the ones that have any kind of mature development at all. The more higher things, the cortex and the limbic system, those are still rather primitive. So even after birth, our brain is developing, and it develops through stages throughout our life cycle. But even with all of this development, the actual size of the brain doesn't change significantly from birth to death. What does change is the density. The density changes because of all the neurological pathways, all of the learning that is taking place, all of the connections that are being made, all of the experiences that we're putting together and accumulating into our perception of the world, our box. That's what changes over the life cycle. And that's what creates the density. And Susan McIntosh, our guest today, is going to be here to help us talk about some of that, uh, some of those connections that go on, help us to kind of make sense of it, help us to know what is happening in our world. So she's going to be here to help us understand a bit of it because her expertise is neuro-linguistic programming. She does neuro-linguistic programming, and she is, does quite a good job of it, as I understand. Of course, she's going to be talking to us about aspects of sex and sexuality, that how these brain functions can get connected to the things that we feel, to the things that we do, the things that we experience. And in doing that, she's going to be talking to us a little bit about how they can be changed, too. Last week, when Dr. Cynthia Preston was on the show, we talked about lifespan development, and we specifically focused on the many ways that sexuality is affected. 
We only slightly touched on brain development, though. And that's because we knew you were going to have you here today, Susan, to highlight all that important stuff. So before we go to commercial break, would you like to introduce yourself, Susan, and tell us something about yourself and neuro-linguistic programming? Hello there, Jenny. Thank you for inviting me on the show, and hello, listeners. Um, who am I? I am a personal coach, and I use a number of methodologies, both traditional and in NLP, uh, to help others understand how their brains are uniquely wired to help them or you best manage your life. As I see it, there is no normal brain that's a continuum, and we all interpret and experience and respond to emotion in varying ways, either neurobiological or chemical pathways. If we understand how we think, why we think the way that we do, and what motivates us, we can change our thinking patterns, living better lives and better relating to and communicating with others. So, what is NLP? I guess NLP is a form of communication. It's how to communicate really, really well. When it comes to sexuality, uh, the basic premise of NLP is that the words we use reflect an inner subconscious perception of our own problems. If these words and perceptions are inaccurate, they'll create an underlying problem as long as we continue to use them to think them. Our attitudes are, in a sense, a self-fulfilling prophecy. NLP uses self-image and attitude towards illness, problems, otherwise to affect change, to promote healing. Jenny, would you have any other questions around NLP? So basically, is it a kind of a talk therapy? It is in a little way, except that it uses a mind-body relationship. It's, um, it's a discipline that uh, helps to unblock the structures of human communication and, and thereby creating uh, excellence in communication. Yeah. I see. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you, Susan. It's so nice to meet you and have you on the show today. We're going to step out for a couple of minutes for that commercial break, and we'll be right back after that to talk in more depth to Susan McIntosh. Thank you. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Jenny Friend invites you to check out her website for more information about her programs and sessions, which can be conducted in person, by phone, and via Skype. Visit www.centerforclarity.org or call 714-210-9200. Jenny's office is located in Costa Mesa, California. Stop in if you're in the area or connect with Jenny on Skype at Jenny Friend MFT. Jenny is here to help you. Visit www.centerforclarity.org. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Hot and Healthy Sex Radio with host Jenny Friend. If you have a question or comment about our program, we invite you to call into the show at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to MFT at sbcglobal.net. Now, back to Hot and Healthy Sex Radio. We're back from our commercial break. Hello there. 
I'm so glad that we're (laughs) all back to talk about this. So I wanted to ask you a few questions about brain functioning in general. From what you've told us about NLP, you have a great understanding of how the brain evolves. And since we didn't talk so much about, to Dr. Cynthia about that, because we're waiting for you, mm-hmm. I'd like to get more into that. Sure. Um, as I understand it, we have these kind of basic neurological wiring, and it's the pathway for everything that we are. It comes from our brains and goes to our brains and goes to our muscles and our cells, and there's millions and millions and billions of these neurological pathways throughout the body and brain. And that somehow the brain has to make sense of all of this. And doesn't it get bundled into some kind of neurological pathway, some main ones that um, have generalized ways that it runs throughout the body? Can you talk about that? Absolutely, Jenny. Actually, the brain is fascinating. In the work in which I do, and I'd just like to uh, also say that I'm not a therapist like you are. I'm somebody who um, is fascinated by the brain and and loves to understand how the brain works. Um, but But I certainly don't deal into pathological areas of the brain. So from my understanding of the brain... Um, I would just like to say that there are, are a couple of pathways that we rely upon, especially when it comes to sexuality. The first is a, a chemical set of pathways, and that is often where you get the addiction of love that comes into place. And in, within those pathways happening in the prefrontal cortex, you have got, oh, chemicals, the, the wonderful chemicals of love, um, which would come down to dopamine and serotonin, vasopressin, and uh, your endogenous opiates. So when those particular uh, chemical pathways are stimulated, that's when we get our addictions, when we get our lusts, when we get um, that incredible hyper-focus that that can happen and it it seems all compelling. The second set of uh, pathways that happen in the brain tend to be the neurobiological pathways and that is where the world of NLP actually works really, really well. Um, NLP, as I said, uh, earlier is a as a methodology of being able to look at how our brain works, looking at the biological pathways, interpreting the biological pathways within our body, and then taking taking that knowledge and taking that understanding and working at what it is that we truly want, then being able to actually change those biological pathways to get better responses or better outcomes for what it is that we're actually wanting or wanting to do. So we can actually change our behaviors um, wow. using, our, using our biological pathways. Wow. So, and you said that some of those pathways, natural pathways, are opiates? Oh, yes. Actually, uh-huh. the chemical, chemical pathways. That's what I meant, yes. Yeah, the chemi- some of those chemical pathways are actually natural opiates. And, those, oh. and that is why when uh, you have a look at brain imaging and you look at somebody who is completely and utterly in love, often that brain will look like somebody who has actually got an addiction patterning happening in that brain because it's the similar sort of chemical pathways that are opening and functioning to create that same body response. So, yes, love is like a chemical addiction in the brain. Well, orgasm must be too then. I would say so. I must be I haven't, I haven't, I haven't seen the, um, 
the brain imaging on orgasms, but I would imagine that, yeah, it must be very, very similar. And so, basically, the, what I hear you saying is that those areas of the brain that respond to the neurological, the, excuse me, the chemical pathways of opiate, of uh, uh, the natural opiates, because of this exciting response of uh, stimulation and orgasm, that these connections get made throughout the brain and the body. Um, but are they the same for men and women? Uh, well, well, when it actually comes to the chemical addiction or the, the chemical response, yes, they can be. What I was can- thinking of the pathways. Oh, the pathways. Uh-huh. Yes, the, yes. As far as I understand, the pathways are very similar. But don't the men have? I mean, I, I know with the opiate that it that the pleasure center of the brain yes um, is the one that basically gets attached by those sensations, and and with the chemical sensation, of course, is the brainwave sensation that creates habit throughout. Yes. Uh, that we want to do that again, whether that's a conscious or an unconscious kind of a... Of a Absolutely. It, but it, it is also true, though, that men react differently. So, for example, when it comes to lust, men have got a, a different... Ge- this is a generalization. I just want to say it is a generalization. And um, from my understanding that, when, it, for example, when it comes to lust, men are more visually orientated... And so, therefore, they tend to be the greatest purveyors of pornographic material. Um, and therefore, they get their kick or their addiction through those sorts of stimuli, whereas for women, that tends not to happen. But the actual dopamine pathways through the brain tend to be similar. Now, having said that, each of us has that those, those chemicals are actually produced deep inside of our brain, and they uh, come to the fore in our prefrontal cortex, now, the, the amount of those drugs that we actually produce, those chemicals that we produce in our brain, do differ between men and women, the actual volumes of it. And also, the uptake of the pathway through the prefrontal cortex can differ. And then, to complicate matters, each and every one of us has our own unique way of taking up that particular uh, chemical pathway or those neurons firing off in particular sorts of patterns which are truly unique to us which is why I say there is a unique wiring to the brain so when you start to take in all those parameters and all those variances there is no one normal brain that we can just relate to but we can generalize and say that yes on the whole we have very similar brains yeah but the even though they're very similar, and we are talking in generalizations, isn't there parts of the brain that are fed differently as far as natural, in, in, natural inclination for people to form areas of the brain, such as, yes, women are socialized to do more caring kinds of things, but that socialization interacts, doesn't it interact with a basic biological programming for that part of the brain to be slightly larger? Yes, it does. Yeah, there, there is a, certainly a genetic predisposition for women's brains to act slightly differently and for men's brains to actually act and perform slightly differently. And uh, the actual basis and understanding of that, I think, is neurobiological. And I think from the neurobiological, do we then have the chemical pathways, as I understand it. But obvious, obviously, the research is continuing and happening, and um, 
I don't know, every, every, every couple of months I seem to read something that's a little bit different, but as a generalization, I would agree with you. Okay. And so that also makes the parts of the brain that for men, that's a bigger area because they tend to be about the same size. Doesn't that leave that spatial visual part? You know, you were talking earlier about men being more visual. So their brain, that section of the brain is slightly larger, isn't it? Yes, it can be. Yeah. So they can be. Yeah. Okay. So we're carrying around all of these messages and we have not only these biological influences, but a lot of emotional and sociological influences, which we have touched on. Yes. Um, the, so when we get down to sexuality and how these things can come together and we can sort of manipulate them or maybe not manipulate them, enhance them or consciously or unconsciously enhance them or make them less sensitive to responding. And what I'd like for us to talk more about that when we get back. And because I think, if I'm not mistaken, that the way that these neurological pathways work, as well as the chemicals with our learning and all that kind of stuff, is that we get some general kinds of people when it comes to their approach or their attitudes towards sexuality. Yes, ab- absolutely. And um, that can often be governed by our uh, family history, our genetic history. Um, uh, and, and, you know, for, for whatever reasons, you know, we also seem to have a predisposition, you know, that, um, that men are, affected, uh, are more attracted to youth and beauty and women are more attracted to money and education and position, which seems to override many of what we would consider to be normal sorts of um, social cues. And, but what is in- also interesting is that romantic love seems to be the equalizer mm. between all of this. Mm-hmm. But even with romantic love, you get a certain kinds of classifications of connections that people make, don't you? For example, don't we get kind of a healthy attraction and desire? That's one category. Yes. And then we might have a person who is addicted, as you mentioned before, addicted to pornography or addicted to sex or addicted to some kind of that stimulation that they're really setting off those opiate centers of their brain. Oh, I think so. But I also think that perhaps romantic love is something that tends to take a longer time to develop, uh, whereas the, the the more lustful or the the one-off sexual encounters that, that heightened sexual response right at the very beginning, that can, can be a one-off or a, or a, or a couple-off sort of um, process or a couple-off sort of process. Whereas uh-huh. I think romantic love, as my understanding is, that is, that is something which tends to develop over a longer period of time and so therefore you get a calming of those chemical pathways. Uh-huh. But people who get stuck in one kind of connecting, whether it's short-term or long-term, they tend to create some kind of a pattern that that's the way they respond to love or sex or yes. whatever it is. Because sometimes we have people, and to generalize drastically, but we have sometimes we have people who are in love, they're in relationship, but they're not interested in sexuality. And yes. so they've created this emotional experience that has been disconnected from the biological response somehow. Which is interesting, isn't it? It's exceedingly interesting. So we have those people who have this aversion 
And we have people who have this addiction, as we talked about. And then we have people with that good old healthy attraction and desire. So the question is, and we'll talk more about it when we get back, is how do we change that? We have NLP. Oh, that's that's fascinating. (laughs) Isn't it, though? Isn't it, it though? So let's go to our commercial break and come on back with that information. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. Jenny Friend invites you to check out her website for more information about her programs and sessions, which can be conducted in person, by phone, and via Skype. Visit www.centerforclarity.org or call 714-210-9200. Jenny's office is located in Costa Mesa, California. Stop in if you're in the area. Or connect with Jenny on Skype at Jenny Friend MFT. Jenny is here to help you. Visit www.centerforclarity.org. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Hot and Healthy Sex Radio with host Jenny Friend. If you have a question or comment about our program, we invite you to call into the show at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to MFT at sbcglobal.net. Now, back to Hot and Healthy Sex Radio. Hi, we're back. And we're talking to Susan McIntosh about sex and the brain. Before we went on commercial break, we were talking about these three broad categories of ways that people respond to sex, sex sexuality, Susan. Yes. And I'd like to talk about, we talked about some of the reasons, both biological I mean, with with all those chemicals and wiring and social and all that kind of stuff. Um, And we're going to be talking more about them as we go into the rest of our quarter. But before I do that, I would like to give kind of an introduction to each of those kinds of categories. We're going to have... People who, you're an NLP, you deal with NLP, that's your practice. And so future sessions, future shows, I will have people who specifically focus on this area that we are calling um, healthy, um, healthy attack, um, what are we calling it here? Um, we're calling it healthy connections and sexuality and normal sexual response. Um, but I will have, an, so I'll have an expert who will come in and talk about attachment and the, uh, a healthy attachment style. And um, then I will be having a show where we'll be talking about the, an addictive people who are are stuck in the addictive personality style towards sexuality and others that will be talking about the aversive type. So I'd like to kind of give an introduction to each of those right now, Susan, and just kind of chat about them for a few minutes. Absolutely. Okay, so let's start with the healthy type. Okay. (laughs) As As in healthy sexuality? Yeah, 
as in healthy, we can we're we're interested in sexuality and we we're um, you know we function well in our society. We're comfortable in our sexuality, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, healthy sexuality, um, as I understand it, as I said before, it's, it's the combination of those chemical and neurobiological pathways. It's also part of our genetic history and our social history. Um, somebody who has a healthy sexuality is comfortable in their own bodies, comfortable in their own skin. Um, somebody who has had reasonably healthy relationships that's happened. Somebody who's been allowed to um, have a healthy sexual development through their childhood and into their teenhood with, without any aberrations. Um, somebody who um, is able to call upon um, all, those, all those areas that add to their, their, their sexual experience, whether it be their um, smell or auditory or visual or taste or kinetic sort of areas. People who don't have pathological problems, um, Susan, you keep talking about people who don't have, don't have, don't have. What do they have? How, when there's a kind of a sexual, I mean, what kinds of things might they be stimulated by? Whether, I mean, not specifics, you know, but, uh, you know, for example, someone with a healthy response to stimulation and desire, they might, could they? Could they like feel something that is soft and with that feeling get all kinds of warm emotions because oh, they yes. yeah. yeah 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 Ab- absolutely there's there's that definite sort of tie and and, and emotional response um how, how else? How else can I put? I hear you saying don't have, and and I guess by understanding what we what the problems could be, then we can then start to define normality. People who have fun and play and creativity um, within their daily play with sexuality. People who enjoy uh, sensing different emotions, I feel comfortable about with different emotions. People who feel comfortable with um, and enjoy exploring and playing with, with the ideas, as I said before, you know, of um, of that, that wonderful skin feel or surrounding themselves with perfumes or um, using taste or they're, they're willing to explore all those senses that they have plus their human emotions to be able to create a good neurobiological connect with another person. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking they would be like. And they would so they would be feeling like sexuality is a normal part of their life. They'd be stimulated. By absolutely. The yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I truly believe that that all humans are really very sexual beings, and mm-hmm. um, within our everyday environment and our every, everyday life, we experience not necessarily orgasms all day, but but certainly we're neurobiologically wired to experience uh, interactions between different nervous systems to get pleasurable states. And so this healthy style that we've been talking about would be accepting of those things and going, oh, this is nice, oh, this is nice, and see how all of these nice feelings throughout the day might make them want to snuggle with their man that night. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And want to experience more pleasure and not only experience more but to make it better pleasure. Um, wanting to build build upon their experiences to create better experiences. I hear that. And 
what would they, what do you think they would have, generally speaking, how would they think about their body image? You know, that concept of where we are with our, you know, we look in the mirror and we either go, ooh, or <laughs> stuff. You know, that's not so bad. That, you know, I got some nice here. So, what's the difference? I mean, if a person in the, he- in the healthy area, what would they be experiencing? In the healthy area, I guess they're looking at their bodies going, um, it may not be the best body, but it is a really enjoyable body. It is a body that can experience and does enjoy experiencing. And letting go of those feelings of perfectionism too, mm, may not be the best, but you know, it's it's a great body and and I am really enjoying myself. And mm. Yeah, and, and what else can I add to the experience to make it better for me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my partner. And your partner. <laughs> yeah. and, and, it's, and in fact, from an NLP perspective, if you're really wanting to improve your sexual experience, the idea is that you do it first. It's all about communication. So, therefore, if you're wanting to experience more and to get more back, you're willing to explore and play and create yourself, and then you'll find that your partner will follow. I see. And that person that you were trying to talk about before, before I brought you away from those knots, mm-hmm. we take out all those knots, we have the aversive personality, don't we? We do. We do indeed. Yeah. Ah. Ah. And then that addictive personality, we hear a lot about that these days, you know, addiction to pornography and addiction to the internet and addiction to this and addiction to that. But, but addiction is, I would just like to say at this point that addictions can be healthy as well. There can be, a, there can be strengths in addictions. So I believe that, there are, that you need to qualify exactly what the addiction is. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that because you're addicted to something at one particular point in your life that you're going to, com- that you're going to continue to be addicted. Um, we are able to retrain our brains and we are able to understand where that addiction is coming from. We can change those addictions. So we, can, we can actually overlay those addictions with healthy addictions. Healthy addictions? Healthy addictions. Healthy Tell addictions. Me more about that. Okay, <laughs> healthy, healthy, healthy addictions uh, can be um, along the lines of really living well. Healthy addictions can be making sure that in that in your day you have the optimum environment in which to play and to be able to create um, that that you have joyful experiences dur- during the day. And though I'm not saying that you shouldn't have the other, because joy within joy is inher- inherently is is the opposite, the understanding of what the opposite can be. It can be that being addicted to living well um, can be the perfect way to go forward. Yes, that sounds like a good way to live to me. Oh, it does to me too. (laughs) (laughs) And so that that sort of sounds like you're saying that that means I have to take care of the stress in my life? You do have to take care of the stress in your life. You need to take care of the body in your life. You need to look after you. you know, it, it comes down to really, really good self-care, um, making sure that you yourself are okay when you jump out of bed in the morning and that you do fabulous things for you. And by you living a joyful and creative and fabulous life, you'll attract more of that into your life. Mm. I can hear my mom saying, well, maybe I shouldn't say my mom, but, <laughs> you know, people in the older generation, oh, well, people, I can hear people saying, that sounds awful selfish to me. 
Well, actually, I think I think there's good selfishness and bad selfishness, and looking you after self yourself first is good selfishness. If you are all right, and if you are healthy and well, and you experience healthy and well activities in your in your day, then you will attract more healthy and wellness into your life and healthy and well people. I think that's a really great way to live. Aha, sounds good to me. Uh, sounds really good to me. Yeah, and a lot of fun. Oh, that, that's the, <laughs> I like fun. I definitely like fun. Yeah. So we're about ready to wrap up with um, our talk with you today, Susan, unless you have something you'd like to add very quickly. Um, what else would I like to add about sexuality? I think it's important that we use all our senses uh, to heighten our experiences, that we use our, our senses and our ability to be able to communicate to um, ensure that our partners have the best experience as well, which will have a snowbound, snowball, of, I suppose, effect and uh, will, will continue to help us to grow glorious lives. And that, I think, is a huge part of sexuality, that it's part of the gloriousness of life and should be fully indulged in and really enjoyed um, yeah, and I think and I think it is about that fun and creativity and play. That's an wow. important part of life. Wow. You've inspired me, Susan. Thank you so much. I appreciate you being on our show. And I know our listeners appreciate you too. Oh, that's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having had me. And I hope we work together again in the future. I'm sure that we will. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. After our commercial break. Returning to answer questions that listeners might decide to call in with, or if you email me, I can't answer them until next week. I'm not an ELP practitioner, though. Don't forget that. So I not, may not be able to answer specific questions about NLP live on the air, but I'll forward them to uh, Susan. The general questions about sexuality, functioning, attitudes that we identify, those I can probably handle pretty well, as well as the brain. So let's come on back and finish this up. Your life, your health, your network. Voice America Health and Wellness. Get the latest information in health and wellness when you tune into On the Radio with Dr. Ray. Each week, you'll find out the latest and greatest from both traditional and holistic perspectives. Your host, Dr. Robert Ray, better known as Dr. 90210, is the best known and most sought after plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills. Dr. Ray, with his co-host, Natalie Day, will help you get the dream body you've always wanted through diet and exercise, not surgery and medicine. On the Radio with Dr. Ray airs live Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Jenny Friend invites you to check out her website for more information about her programs and sessions, which can be conducted in person, by phone, and via Skype. Visit www.centerforclarity.org or call 714-210-9200. Jenny's office is located in Costa Mesa, California. Stop in if you're in the area, or connect with Jenny on Skype at Jenny Friend MFT. Jenny is here to help you. Visit www.centerforclarity.org. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Music. 
You're listening to Hot and Healthy Sex Radio with host Jenny Friend. If you have a question or comment about our program, we invite you to call into the show at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to Jenny Friend, MFT, at sbcglobal.net. Now, back to Hot and Healthy Sex Radio. I slipped into that commercial so quickly. I forgot to give you the sex organ question of the week. Sorry to give you some time to think about it. I'll talk about some other things, and then we'll come back to the answer. So the sex, question, the sex organ question of the week. What is the heaviest sex organ? Remember to think out of the box. Last week, the biggest sex organ, the skin, was out of the box of your normal thinking about your sexual organs. So think out of the box for this. Next week, I'm going to be talking about what normal sexuality is. Now, normal, and I'm putting those in quotes, is a kind of a tricky word. And I'll share with you next week why it's such a tricky word. Even though it's such a tricky word and it becomes really hard to pin down normalcy, I decided to stick this into our topics of discussion for our first quarter here for several reasons. One, as the people are always coming into my office or calling me up on the phone and saying, is it normal? Blah, 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 whatever. And another reason is because when people are in a relationship, but they're unhappy, especially when they're unhappy about something sexual, they kind of want to know what normal is so that they can figure out who's got the problem and who needs to change. A third reason that uh, I decided to put it in this time is because of the term sex addiction. Like we talked a little earlier with Susan, sex addiction has become quite a term out there. It's been thrown around in lots of different ways. And people are trying to figure out, is that me? Is that my partner? Do we have some kind of a sexual addiction? Is that what our problems are about? So that's the third reason I decided to throw it in. And we'll be talking about that next week, as I said, with our guest. And at this point in time, I'm not going to tell you who that guest is. You'll have to wait and see. So anybody got the answer to the sex organ of the week question? Nobody's called in. Nobody's let me know that they think they've got the answer. So I guess I'll have to give you some hints. Okay, let's see what hint I can give you here. Hmm. How about, like last week's sex organ of the week, this sex organ is often not thought of as a sex organ. So think out of the box. But it's really interesting how when you identify it as a sex organ, people go, 
Oh, yeah, that's the most important thing that affects sexuality. But yet, when we say name your sex organs, they don't name it. Hmm. The sex organ of the week also takes the longest to develop. It starts developing at the very beginning of development when we're first starting to build our bodies, build our minds, build our uh, neurological systems. It's one of our first cells that develop. And it develops all the way through death. This sex organ takes the longest to develop of any organ in the whole body. It's very complex. I don't see any brave souls who have decided to call in and give the answer. I think probably some of you out there know, but you don't want to give us a call and let us know that you know. Isn't it exciting to be on the radio? Hear yourself? Call us in. Give us an answer to the sex question, or maybe you have a question about something else. Okay. I'll give you a couple more. I'll give you a couple more hints, and then we're just going to have to call it for today. Did I tell you? that this sex organ regulates more than just sexual organs, sexual response. It regulates the autoatomic nervous system. You know, like if you're breathing really quick or your heart's pounding really fast, this sex organ can actually help you to manage that. And it's a sex organ. Isn't that interesting? So come on. You guys must be getting an idea here. It's the most important organ that there is for not only sexual functioning and behavior, but for all things in your life. It coordinates all your perceptions, all your understanding. It really is the, the root of your life. And still, it's a sex organ. The, I'm only going to give you one more hint here. If you guys don't get it this time, I'm going to have to open up the lines wider. Say, send me emails. I guess you guys are just shy. You don't want to let me know how you, you know all this stuff already. So call on in. Don't forget that number. I guess I haven't given it out uh, more recently enough. It's 866-472-5792. Let's call in. Let us know what the sex organ of the week is. Okay. One more hint. I know I already told you is that its executive functioning covers more than just the sex organs that it covers all of your life. It also covers thinking, feeling, coordination. 
By now, of course, you all know it's got to be the brain. We've been talking about it for the last hour. And we've been talking about how it puts all these things together. And we manage to become sexual creatures. Or at least most of us do. Some of us have this aversion. Or we have a drive that isn't quite in coordination with our partners. And when that happens, it becomes an issue that the couple has to manage. It becomes more than just about me and my sexual functioning. However, when each one of us individually focus on ourselves and our own desires, our own enjoyable connections to the world, the natural DNA, the biological urges are out there to reproduce. And that's not just for men. It's there for women too. It's just a little bit different. And of course, over the next 12 weeks, we'll be talking about those differences. We'll be talking about how men constantly have the world stimulating their visual system and therefore their sexual systems. And the world is so much subtler in their signals to women. And how we as women can learn to even ignore those signals if we choose to. Or to be punished for them sometimes. So we'll be talking about all of that as we go into sexual aversions, sexual addictions, and more into that good old healthy sex. That healthy, enjoyable sex that we love to have with our partners and we always want to try to work out on some level. The question becomes, what are individual barriers to work that out? To transcend all of these signals that we have developed in our lives that the brain is trying to coordinate, to transcend those so that we can connect with another human being in this most intimate of ways. Because don't forget, women have to open and men are complementary. So as we move into this quarter over the next 12 weeks, listen up. Listen for those hints like today. Stimulate yourself in other ways that are non-sexual. Give yourself that ice cream cone. Feel that soft material. Enjoy your life, not only with your mind, but with your sen senses. And stimulate that whole system going. So think about that for today. It's easy to incorporate when you stop to allow yourself to enjoy those experiences. So come on back next week, and I'll see you then. Thank you again for joining us this week. Hot and Healthy Sex Radio with Jenny Friend can be heard live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have an amazing week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.